0: Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. As of August 2nd, we've resumed in-person worship services on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are committed to the health and safety of our families and will continue to offer our simultaneous live stream at youtube.com slash area 10 Faith Community. We hope you'll join us at the Bird Theater again soon, but in the meantime, we're providing the best possible online experience we can for you. Now, on to this week's message. Well, it's been an interesting week. Um, I have some things I wanted to say about that, and I actually wrote them down, and I'm going to read them to you because this isn't the kind of thing I want to wing it uh, and and get wrong. So uh, I just want to start with this. Um, I heard two interesting quotes about the things that happened this week. One was from a friend of mine who said, I think we owe 2020 an apology because apparently the year wasn't the problem. The problem is us. And another one I read was... uh, Patricia Heaton, and she said, If you're a common sense person, you probably don't feel like you have a home in this world right now. If you're a Christian, you know you were never meant to. This week, we saw another round of sin and violence and human brokenness on display for all the world to see, and we've been seeing that for months and months in different ways. And in the aftermath of the incident this week at the Capitol, we saw much of the worst of our friends and family come out on social media to offer some sizzling hot takes that are frequently reductionistic, simplistic, and therefore offensive to many of the people that are reading them. I read a lot of takes this week where I thought, you realize that when you put that out on Twitter, everybody can read this. This is actually out in the public. I want to speak to this briefly. The, the violence and the protests and the things that went on this week are not the theme of what we're going to talk about today, although the text we're going to look at does speak to it a bit. But I know that it's on everybody's mind, it's kind of the elephant in the room right now, so I feel the need to speak up about it before we dive into this. My other concern on this, uh, on the the writing or or process this from the summer or or now or any other issue that flares up uh, in culture, my concern is first and foremost for the people of God, those who claim the name of Jesus. How best should we respond to these things? Because how everybody else responds is not my concern. But as a pastor, I feel called to speak to Christian people in a time like this. I feel that especially strongly when I see the media showing pictures of protests and people are waving some sort of Jesus banner in the protests. The The Atlantic literally ran an article this week entitled, The Christian Insurrection. So let me give you what I know to be true from the scriptures. I'm sure of this. And this will be no surprise to you because I tell you guys this kind of thing all the time here. You cannot read the Gospels and find any time where Jesus gives any energy to who is Caesar in the Roman Empire. He lives under Roman rule. Caesar is the highest leader of the land, and Jesus doesn't really seem to care. And the reason for this is that Jesus came to earth for a different inauguration. He wasn't here to grab or establish some kind or form of political power. He was here to establish the kingdom of God on earth where people from every tongue and tribe and nation and ethnic group could come together with him as our leader. He came to establish a kingdom that would transcend national boundaries and transcend time. Becoming a Christian then is not something like becoming a person who gets to go to heaven when you die. For Jesus and his early followers in that church, the kingdom of God was primarily not about something that happened to you when you die. It was about a different way of living in, in the here of now. It was not your get out of jail get-out-of-hell-free card. It was about God's power, not worldly political power. It was about loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving your neighbor as yourself. It was about being a disciple of Jesus and making others to become disciples of Jesus. And honestly, I get very concerned when I see Christian people exchange the kingdom of God for a chance to grasp at modern political power. We are selling our birthright for a bowl of stew. We are taking a Ruth's Chris steak and putting it into a McDonald's Big Mac. And we are cheapening our faith, and we're doing that at a great cost. When I say a great cost, I'm talking about the witness of the church. What should be the most visible expression of the kingdom in the world, we are cheapening that when we make it into a voting block. We're cheapening that when we get so in bed with politics that we can no longer have any prophetic distance between us and that. The church absolutely must be different than the world. It cannot become just one more voting group. When the church refuses to be different than the world, it slides into complete irrelevance to the world. If we're going to offer a countercultural alternative to the world and and, and a countercultural life, there better be something truly countercultural and alternative to us. But more than that, when Christians get completely wrapped up in American worldly political power, we end up neglecting more important things. Right now, there are people all across America who are railing against the political system, who are screaming that an election was stolen or that Biden is going to make us all socialists or something, and, and, and some of those folks that have gotten into all of that are completely disengaged from and are driving a wedge between them and their friends and their neighbors and their, even their own children. That's not hypothetical. I heard stories of exactly that this week, of a, of a dad driving a wedge between him and his kids over all of this stuff. What are we doing? We, the people who claim to be the people of God, there's too much at stake here. There's too many people that you know and love, that I know and love, who need support and grace and encouragement and who are depressed or in despair. There's too much hurt around us for us to cheapen what we believe by tying our faith to political outcomes. It is a complete distraction from the good work the Lord calls us to. My energy is best spent this morning By pulling us back to the main thing. Because we get distracted. You get distracted, I get distracted. All of us are like squirrel, right? We get sucked in. I read an article this week that referred to the social media as a dire hose. Not a fire hose, but a dire hose. You know, where we read about all the dire things that are going on in the world and we drink it in. And it can rot us out at the core. So with our time this morning, let's turn our eyes to Jesus who is the most right thing I could tell you about in a world that's gone wrong. Let's pray. Lord, there's a a lot swirling about, and I I pray that uh, first and foremost that the people of God keep their hopes in you and that we keep our eyes set on you. Um, And God, may what we have to look at today in the book of Hebrews challenge us to that and and elevate the conversation for us. God, we don't want to be apolitical and completely disengaged and say, oh, it all sucks because we think it does in a very sort of um, uh, apathetic and and cynical way. Uh, We want to engage, Lord, but we want to engage knowing that there's a greater story and a greater purpose that we live out. Um, So help us to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, the book of Hebrews was written... In the New Testament, was written to a group of people who were undergoing persecution. Now, we call it a book, but it's actually a letter, and it's the only letter in the New Testament that we really don't know who wrote it, so I have to awkwardly just say the author instead of saying like Paul or Luke or something like that. The author of the book of Hebrews wrote this letter probably mid to late 60s AD, and he wrote it uh, to a group of people who, were, who had a Jewish background but who had become followers of Jesus. And who were starting to experience persecution in the year 64, roughly A.D., Nero in Rome starts bringing, the the, the ruler of Rome starts bringing persecution against the Christians. He starts doing some pretty crazy things, and he blames the Christians for it. So uh, they're experiencing hardship, and so this letter is really good because if you feel like today you are experiencing pain or persecution or suffering or hardship or or, or trauma or any, any of this stuff, Um, if you feel like you're experiencing that today, I want you to know that the book of Hebrews was a letter written to people who were experiencing that also, and they were going through it. And and, and so, um, in Hebrews 11, I want to talk about Hebrews 12, but I I need to give you this context from Hebrews 11 because 12 sort of picks up on it. In Hebrews 11, there's what is called, uh, a lot of Christians will call this chapter the the Hall of Faith, and it is a group of people, it, it is a listing of the history of people in Judaism who lived their life by faith. And, And as the author writes about these people, this person lived by faith and this person, he talks about Abraham and Moses and Joseph and people that you've heard of kind of in the Old Testament. But there's this section at the end of Hebrews 11 where he names a few people and then he just goes into the unnamed folks who are living by faith. And I want to read it to you and I want you to hear um, what they were doing, who who they were, and, and kind of how it's described. Because this is going to give the backdrop of what we're going to talk about today. We're talking about the quit line. And particularly the role of of where each other, where we come in together as a a family uh, to help each other not quit. Um, And so as we get into this idea, I I want you to read about these people and hear about these people and and how they did not quit. Um, Hebrews 11, starting with verse 32. Listen to what the author says. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets... Now, you've heard of some of those folks, right? "...who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, uh, 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 obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight." though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Man, I love that. The crazy things that have happened. He, he starts naming People that you've heard of, maybe David and Samson and all that, and then he's like, man, there's a whole bunch of others I don't even have time for. People who were sawn into, people who received their dead back from the dead, people who were longing for something that they weren't able to experience. They just had hope in God, but they didn't get to see the fulfillment of the whole thing. It was powerful, and I love that it says the world was not worthy of them. These people somehow transcended life here on earth. They never got to see the object of their hope, and then he says, but, but basically we did. Those of us who have seen Jesus, who live on the other side of Jesus, we got, to see, um, the, the, we got to see our hope fulfilled in Christ. Now, I would say that none of us in the modern world have experienced pain and persecution suffering in the way that those folks did. Just average life in the ancient world was painful to a level that we, we, we probably don't appreciate. That life expectancy was so short that you, you probably lost children in childbirth. Um, or, or, or at a very young age that, that fires were very common a lot of people died in that there was diseases that people died from pretty regularly that your life expectancy was short the, day, the, the world was harsh in addition to that these believers in God were martyred for their faith they were fed to lions they were, they were mocked and persecuted they had little social safety net in their world there was no health care system there was no national health service or even insurance in case they got sick if they got sick they probably just got better or died, those were, got better kind of on their own or died, Um, those were, those were things, and they didn't have retirement to look forward to, because that wasn't a thing, you had to work until you were dead, and you probably died pretty young. Now, all of that to say, I'm not saying to you, so just suck it up, guy, because we have it so easy right now, but I I do want us to put all of our, our present struggles into a broader context. I I know people have pain today I know people struggle I've I've talked to people I've I've walked with people Um, I I get that Um, but this letter was written to people who are in it and dealing with it Uh, pastor and author Tim Keller says it this way becoming people who can handle trouble handle the brutal realities of life is probably more necessary for us now than it even was for those readers in many ways there's never been a culture with a lower pain threshold than ours. There's never been a culture where people scream faster. And so the author is writing to encourage people who, who want to scream, who, who are discouraged, who are struggling. And, and the author points to all these other people and say, "Hey, you're not the first ones that have gone through this. There's people who've walked this road before you." and they went through it too. So I want you to know that as you're feeling it right now. So with that is the backdrop, with listing all those people as the backdrop. I want you to look at where it goes in Hebrews chapter 12, starting with verse 1. He says this, Therefore, tied into everything we just read, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Therefore, there were all these people we mentioned, and, and he says, uh, there are a cloud of witnesses around you. They are the heritage of faith um, that, that, that surrounds us even as we, as we walk through this life and as we go through this race. And this is important to remember. Because following Jesus in America in 2021, in the Western world, it's getting challenging. It's getting pretty challenging. It is very challenging to speak truth and to keep yourself grounded in truth in a culture that speaks lies. It's hard to stay grounded in truth when you're surrounded by people who don't want to hear truth or don't want to live it, or don't want to speak it, or or want to relativize it and say, that's not really truth, that's just your truth or my truth. It's hard to stand in a place when everything around you is is such shifting sand. It's it's a difficult thing. Um, It's hard to keep yourself grounded in the truth of the gospel when the culture around you wants to affirm every other worldview except that one. Here's what I believe, and many of you probably believe this too, I believe Jesus really lived, and I believe he really died, and then I believe he really came back from the dead. And as such, he proved to us that there's life after death, and he showed us that he is God in the flesh, that there really is a God creator of all of us, no matter all the science, every scientific textbook you've ever read, still comes under the overarching there is a God and he wants to communicate with us, and he loves us, and he reached out to us, and he sent his son to die for us, and because Jesus is the son of God on earth, um, I want to listen to what he says. He has things to say about life, and death, and heaven, and hell, and and, and the body, and and sexuality, and money, and food, and all of these things, and I want to listen to him because I believe Jesus is the truth with a capital T, and so I want to Dial into that and understand it and follow it. And when you do, when you believe the things Jesus just said and believe the teachings of the Scripture, it will put you at odds with every culture and time that you live in in some way. And so in America, there are things we believe as Christians that it's just going to conflict with America. And that's okay. If we lived in China, there'd be some conflict there. If we lived in India, there'd be conflict there. If we lived 500 years ago in England, there'd be conflict there. This is the way it is when you align yourself with the truth of Scripture. It puts you at odds with the culture around you. And that can feel lonely, and that can be a struggle, and that can push you to where you want to quit, to your quit line. You're like, I don't want want to do this anymore. I don't want to swim against the stream. It's exhausting. So what do we learn here from these verses in Hebrews? Number one is this. Life is a race that involves a struggle. If you look closely at what it says, he says, uh, lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely to us and run with endurance the race that is set before us. And I used to think that as one thing, lay aside every weight and sin that's, that clings so closely, but I actually think that's two things. There's such a thing as sin which clings so closely to us, and then there's such a thing as a, a weight that, that we need to lay aside. So sin there's sin that clings to us there are sins that are going to be a hindrance to us that are going to keep us from running the race with God that are going to keep us from uh, that are going to drive a wedge between us and God and us and other people and and you probably know what a lot of those things. If you gossip about coworkers, it drives a wedge between you and coworkers, and even the people you gossip to. It makes them view you as an untrustworthy person who talks about people behind their back. And so you've got that whole thing going on. If you if you constantly are looking at porn, it degrades your view of men and women. Um, and, and it's not a good thing. And you know that over time that's going to rot out your soul. If you're constantly lying, you become an untrustworthy person, and people can't believe you. Like, we understand that sin is real and that there are effects of it. When we do these things, it pulls us away from God. And Hebrews, the author of Hebrews says these things uh, cling to us. That's not news. We can put our heads in the sand and pretend that sin isn't hurting us, but we know that it is. It turns us into animals. And, and worse than that... When our personal sins get out there into culture, they become things that you call systemic systemic oppression, systemic injustices you uh, we, 've heard a lot of talk this year about systemic racism. What is that, but not personal racism start to spread its way out throughout the culture and and, through, and, and into unjust systems so if you want to say there's too much misogyny in the world or there's too much oppression or there's racism or all of these things if you want to look at all these systems you have to first look at your own heart and go inward and go okay where there's sin out there but it comes from somewhere where is the sin in in here there's stuff uh, there's sin that is clinging to you it's like a gum on the shoe of your soul so that's sin that clings to us, but he also says uh, it, we are to lay aside every, every weight. I wonder if there are things that um, we get involved in that aren't sinful, but they're just not helpful. Like, they're, they're hindrances to us. Like, if you were going to run a, a, a marathon, maybe you could do that. Maybe there's people in this room that could do that right now. But if I said, run it with a 70-pound pack on your back, No, not so much. Now it's like, oh, okay, that's hard. And it's not that it's wrong to run with a 70 pound pack on your back, it's just not helpful. And I wonder if there are things that kind of fall in that category that are, they're not sinful, they're just hindrances, they're just not helpful. Money is probably an easy example. People think money, that the scripture says money is the root of all evil. It doesn't say that. It says the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It's different. And, and there, are, there, there, are, there are ways that our pursuit of money can become a hindrance, if not sinful. Not necessarily sinful, but it can become a hindrance. It's good that you want to make money. It's good that you want to make more money. It's good that you want to be promoted. But if our life becomes a complete pursuit of that it is becoming um, potentially an idol, which is a sin, or it 's becoming just a hindrance it 's getting in our way of other things, other relationships um, it 's it's a, a a hindrance um, can the, can the pursuit of relationships become a hindrance to us sure um, we can we can long for things so much and, and pursue some things so long, so much they become a hindrance to us can it can the desire to be safe be a hindrance to us? Well, that's controversial. Let's get into that. Um, because, and, and it's funny that I say that's controversial, but um, safety is the jam right now in culture. And I, it's probably been this way for a long time, but it feels extra right now. You, you can't find a commercial, a company, a, an email, a, a conversation among friends. You just, you just hear, be safe, stay safe. Make sure you're safe. Isn't it great? We're safe. Sorry you haven't seen any human, had any human contact, but you're safe, and safe is safe. It's great. It is the thing, and I'm not saying it's sinful to be safe. I'm saying, though, it can be a hindrance if that's all we're focused on, and maybe it's a hindrance we need to set aside, and, and the reason I say this is if you go back and look at Hebrews 11, all of the people in that chapter are commended for living by faith. Do you know what faith involves? If we're all supposed to live by faith, do you know what faith involves? Risk. You can't be safe and live by faith. That's not what the word means. It involves risk. You have to step out into some unknown. And if your desire alone is to be safe, you'll never step into the unknown. You'll never risk. You read the people in Hebrews 11 that are martyred, that are sawn in two, that saw the people come back from the dead, that had, you know, cut up by swords and and all this and wandered around and walked through fire and you know, stop the mouths of lions, did any of that feel safe? None of it did. And it's not just them. You go, oh, that sounds like fairy tales. That's the history of Christianity. The early Christians would, would not eat, and then they would give the money they would have spent on food in their fasting, and they would give it to people in need. That doesn't feel safe. They would open hospitals. They would start the first hospitals in Rome and take care of sick people. That's not safe. When the plagues came to the Roman Empire, the Roman citizens fled to the hills, and the Christians stayed in the cities, and they, and they nursed people back to health. In some cases, the Christians themselves got sick and died. That sounds very unsafe. And this has been going on throughout history. History. In the Soviet Union, there were Christians who stood up for their faith in Czechoslovakia and Poland, who, who stood up against an entire government society that said, we are a secular atheist society. And, and there were these Christians who said, no, we're going to meet underground and we're going to form this countercultural community where we keep the faith. That's not safe. There's people living in that kind of environment today in China who are living out their faith in spite of the government, and it is not safe. Our faith requires us to take risks. And I wonder if we're making safety our top priority, and in doing that, we're missing out on following Jesus. The way of Jesus is actually not safe. The Hebrews author says, run the race with endurance that is set before us. The word for race, I looked this up, this is really interesting. The word for race in Greek is the word agon, from which we get our word agony. I think that's great. So when he talks about a race, he's talking about running some, with agony. Embrace the pain, he's basically saying. Embrace the suck. Have you ever run a long race, like a marathon or anything? It's agony. It's not amazing. Um, it, it, there's such a thing as runner's high. I don't know. My experience that is fake news. Uh, I, I do not believe that. I, there's never been a point where I was like, I could just go forever. no. My quit line is early when it, when it comes to running. Um, and interestingly enough, you know, the marathon, 26.2 miles or whatever, was named after. Uh, this guy, uh, I, had, I looked this up, Pheidippides in the year 500 BC who ran from, uh, I, I think, to Athens from the town of Marathon. So it was named that. And I guess it's that distance. Um, cool ending to that story is he died when he got there so he ran the thing and then delivered his message and then fell over dead and for some reason somebody thought we should do that again I bet if I try it I won't die and then here we are doing some rando 26.2 mile thing uh still still doing it um the author says, run this race with endure, Run the race with endurance, and he says the race that is set before us, which means the pain, the suffering, the agony of it is actually set out for you. This is the course that the Lord has, has laid out for us. When you signed up for the kingdom of God, you actually signed up for this in some ways. So the challenge is this, number two, find the value in the struggle. Find the value in the, when you're in, in, in the midst of the struggle. You're in this race, we're in this thing, find the value in it. Um, I've not run a long race. Probably the farthest I've ever run in my life is maybe 13 miles. Um, but people who run marathons, I, I, I've known people who are part of this church who've run 50 milers or 100. And that's, that's wild stuff. I don't even like driving 50 miles. Like, man, I can't even. Um, I, so I've not run a long, long race, um, but I have faced my quit line uh, in the gym. Uh, this week, just this week, I started a new exercise program, and I wasn't sure how it was working, and so I'm following along with this app, and we're doing this stuff, and my son and I were in there, and we went through, like, two sets of everything, you know, and uh, at the end of the second set, I was like, yeah, oh, man, you know, we're done. I think we're done, okay, and I'm, like, getting ready to leave, and I look back at the app, and it said there's supposed to be a third, a third round of all of the things, and we just done all the things, like, twice, and I'm like, I don't. I don't want to do another. I'm tired now. Why would I do all of these things again? My body hurts. And I started thinking about that my car will be good and warm, and when I get home, it's going to be warm, and there's going to be food, and I'm going to have a shower. And also, I'm already tired for the two rounds I already did. And I quit. I was like, hey, and it's good having a, you know, a workout, buddy. Hey, you want to quit? Me too. Let's quit. And so we quit uh, right then and there. And and, um, and so I've, I've faced that line in the gym where, where I, I want to I quit. Um, and, and here's the, th- the, th- the thing. Um, I told you last week that when you want to quit, you're actually at about 40%, and there's a lot more in you. Um, the reason I actually like working out in the gym is that it makes me face my quit line. And I don't always do well like this week, but sometimes I do pretty well with it where I go, I don't think I can do this, but I'm going to push through and see if I can make it. And I, and I try, and I try to get that extra rep, or I try to bang out as many reps as I'm told to in the thing. I try to do this and, and face that quit line in the gym. And here's the deal. It is really good to practice facing that quit line. In the gym, it's a good place to practice it because it's not that consequential. At the end of the day, we're just talking about lifting weights and exercising. The consequential stuff where you want to quit is in your marriage, in your temptation to lust, in the way... In, in what you're doing financially, these are areas that you want to quit. And I want to practice every day in the gym facing my quit line and pushing, pushing through it so that I won't quit on those other things. That's the value I see in the struggle of going to the gym, push through when I feel like quitting. I don't always do it well, but sometimes I do. Um, this, this, is what Jesus, or, uh, this is what the author of Hebrews points us to You are walking in the path of Jesus. So look at him. Look at the hostility he endured. He suffered. He died on the cross. And then he says, you haven't, uh, basically, you haven't pushed through yet to the point of shedding blood. Now, literally, that could mean you guys, you Hebrews who are reading this letter, you guys have not yet gotten to the point where you're having to die for your faith. So there's still more to come. It's an uplifting message. But it could be a reference to, um, some, some scholars have, have, have mentioned this, in the ancient world in the Olympics, the, the highlight of the event is the pentathlon, and the pentathlon involves several events that we would kind of know of today, like the javelin, discus, and that kind of stuff, and running and jumping and all that. But the final event from the pentathlon was basically a wrestling boxing match, where the, the combatants would wear these... Um, these leather, this leather on their hands to protect their hands, but it would end up like disfiguring and bloodying the other guy when you fight. And so that's kind of the end of the thing, the highlight of the thing. It all leads up to this point where you get, in, you get sort of go cage match and you just beat on other people to finish the, I don't know why, someone thought like after throwing javelin running, now let's beat on each other, but there there it is. And, and maybe this is a reference to that to say, to an example of that, like, hey, you haven't yet gotten to the end of the pentathlon, there's still, there's still more to come. There's a regimen of difficulties that we have to go through. And then he says, God is treating you Like a son, and there's actually value in this. Uh, Verse 7, listen to what he says. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For the For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I don't know what you're dealing with um, that's pushing you right now where you want to quit. But I want to encourage you to find value even in that struggle. That God is stretching all of us to grow through whatever it is. That he's, that he's disciplining us. That, and, and, and the author says, you know, our earthly fathers disciplined us. That's how we, that's how we grew. That's how we discovered what was right and wrong and, and, and became better. And God will do the same with us. Without struggle, there is no growth. No pain, no gain is what we like to say, right? Without pain, there is no, there's no compelling reason to change and become something more. I think a lot of us, if, 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 if I could offer you a life of no pain, a lot of us would say like, yeah, I mean, that sounds great. Like, no pain? Like, sign me up. Well, How do I get that? But I don't think you want that. There's actually a, a, a name for it. It's called leprosy. Leprosy is not a, a skin condition where it's just like, People's skin starts rotting or things that we think of, they wear these bandages or whatever, and kind of in the ancient world we think of leprosy that way. But it's actually a, a nerve condition where you can't feel. And so what ends up happening is if you can't feel pain, you will put your hand on a hot stove and just burn it because you don't notice. And so pain in that sense is, is a light on the dashboard telling us to change something. It, 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 is, it is extremely valuable to us. Without it, without pain, you're, you'll actually die. Like, you're, you're going you're gonna to come apart if you don't have pain on some level. So there's incredible value in it, and there's value in the struggle. C.S. Lewis used to say, pain is God's megaphone to rouse the, a deaf or sleeping world. So when we run the race, remember that pain is part of the process and find value in it. And then finally this, number three, link up with some running partners. There's an African proverb, you've probably heard it before, it says this, if you want to run fast, run alone. If you want to run far, run together. And this is what I think Hebrews 12.1 is getting us to. He says, therefore, since you are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, there are people who have gone before you that have led you to this moment. Yeah, you can look at Moses and all these people in the Old Testament, but I would just say even in your own autobiography that you would write, um, in your own story, there are people in there that have gone before you. The faith that you might have today first lived in your grandmother who brought you to church as a kid. It first lived in your parents who who read it to you. It lived in a a youth group leader who took the time to teach you. It it lived in a teacher who didn't just teach you math but taught you something about God. It lived in a sister, a brother, a cousin. Um, your, Your faith is, is, and you are surrounded by other people who have gone before. And I like to picture, as we are running this race, I like to picture that there's this stadium full of those people who are around us and who are cheering us on. Imagine, can you imagine in 2021 now a full stadium of people? That's a thing we could maybe do. Um, imagine the stadium of people who have gone before your life and are now cheering you on as you run the race and follow Jesus. But not all the people who are the cloud of witnesses are dead. Some of them are very much alive and even in this room. We say at this church that we want you to connect to God, find your people, and change the world. We talked about the connect to God piece last week, but there's the find your people as well. You have opportunities to find your people here, to find your people here. This is why we create a lot of the environments that we create in this church. This is why teenagers on Sunday night are invited to be part of student ministry because it is a place for them to find their people, to find other people who are gonna walk the walk of faith no matter what middle school or high school environment they're in, they're going to be there and they're going to try to walk together and learn about God and grow together. This is why we offer this, why children's ministry happens, so that kids can learn about Jesus in an age-appropriate way on Sunday mornings, but also that they can start connect with other kids and start to meet some other kids who are also believing in this and living this. This is why we have small groups. We'll be launching small groups in mid-February. We have groups that meet throughout the week in people's homes. We do this so that you can find your people, so that you can meet other people. This is why we'll do things like... um, in two weeks, I'm starting my transformation class. We'll do a class, you can meet other people and be challenged to grow and, it, it, and have some regular connection there. It can be a very powerful thing. That's why we're gonna do some game nights here in, in the weeks coming up so that you can find your people, so you can meet other people and connect with them so you can get to know some of the other people in the cloud of witnesses. Um, this is why we do these things and we continue to create environments for you to find your people because we all need it. In 2016, I turned 40 years old. And I decided to run the Monument 10K. I first ran the Monument 10K when I was 34, and I decided to run it again. Um, I I ran it a couple times in my 30s, and then I hadn't run it for a couple years, and then I decided to pick it up again as I was turning 40 because my 40th birthday was very close to the race day. And it was just this thing in my head, like, I'm turning 40, I'm going to run this thing. I hadn't trained much, so about a month before the race, I called my friend Carl up in Maryland, and I said, Carl, he's more of a runner than me. He's run the Richmond Marathon a couple times. I said, Carl, will you come run this race with me? I want to I run it. I haven't trained much. I also want to get the best time I've ever gotten. This is not a good setup formula, right? But I knew he was a good runner and an enc- encourager. So I called him, and he said, yeah, I'll do it. Let's do it. So he came down, and we ran the race. And that year when we ran it, um, you know, I just want you to know what I had to go through. It actually snowed during that race for like a minute. I, don't, I didn't appreciate that. You know, I was like, I'm trying to get my time here. It got, it got windy. A little bit of snow started falling. It's like in April. And I'm like, are you kidding me right now? Is this really happening? So anyway, I ran, we ran the thing, um, and um, it did not feel great, as most running does not feel great to me. It did not feel great. I... I no surprise here. I did not get a runner's high. Um, I ran, and Carl ran with me, and he paced me because he can run faster than I can, and he's good at it. And he kept the pace, and I had to stick with him. And I remember at one point, he was somewhere in the return kind of section. We're going down mile four or something. He he was like 20 yards up ahead of me. And he even did that thing, you know, like you're running, and then like you turn around, and you like, you know, you're kind of like and I'm like, oh, he's running backwards. This is so easy for him, you know. And um, but he was like, come on, you did this. And he, and he, his words, he sort of coaxed me and encouraged me and pulled me forward. Um, and I ended up running uh, uh, the best time i had ever run, um, in that thing because because I had somebody running with me who was pushing, and and encouraging as they did, and and that's the way I see the body of Christ is supposed to focus. And I think it's more important even now. I, honestly, with the craziness of the world this week, um, yeah, you can go to social media and find out what your uncle thinks about things, and that's fine. Or find out that one friend you went to high school with, see what they're thinking about things, that's fine. And, the, and, and we all do some of that. But what I wanted to see was the people who I know and love that I can see in the flesh that are around me. How are you doing? What do you think? What, what, like, and, and process that stuff. There's tremendous value in that, um, to have those people to link up with that are near you. So let me encourage you to reach out. Um, We'll have opportunities over this next month. Sign up, show up, bring a friend, um, uh, because we all need those pacing partners. We need people to run so that we can run farther together. Let's pray. God, I pray that the right people will come along, um, that, that... uh, more friendships will be made here, more relationships will be built, um, that single people will find a, a community, that married people will find other married folk to talk to, that parents will find other parents that they're wrestling with, that empty nesters will connect up with others and, and share wisdom and insight from, from the years of parenting, that, that across generations and across socioeconomic status, different people will link up here and grow and change. Um, I thank you for the pacing partners that you've provided in this community. We all need it. There's, no, there's none of us who have arrived. We are all uh, running the, with endurance the race set before us. Thank you for the example of so many who have gone before and who lead the way. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.